Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Today I'm going to speak from the second uh, part of the sermon that I preached on last week. So if you didn't listen to that, pause this, go there, get the setup. And I'm speaking on the remnant church. And my title today is The Remnant is Rising. The Remnant is Rising. I want to read to you one scripture out of the book of Romans. Last week, we read this verse in Romans chapter 11, verse 5. We read this verse, So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But I want to add the full context that we find that verse in. So we're going to rewind a little bit and begin the verse in, uh, in verse, chapter 11, verse 2. The Bible says this in verse 2, God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to Elijah? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at this present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. So too. As it was then, so it will be, so it is again. Today I want to talk about the remnant church, the remnant Christian. The remnant are those who confess Christ and walk in his way despite the difficult circumstances of life. The remnant are those that are courageous. They are those that have convictions, values that align with the Almighty. The remnant are those that choose to hold on to their faith despite what happens to them or around them. The remnant are those that confess Jesus Christ over the circumstances of life. But I want to go a little bit deeper. Those who confess Christ must also confront evil in their time. The evil that is found in the hearts of man, in their own heart. The evil that is found in culture, society. That evil that comes in even through subtle means. Those who confess Christ must confront the evil, the godlessness, the sin of their time. This has been true throughout generations. And every generation has had to confront their own tribulation, their own various trials. So too we, who choose to confess Christ, must confront the evil that is coming after this generation and the generation that is to come. When Paul is speaking about this, speaking to the remnant, he references the story of Elijah. Last year, uh, I went through this verse, uh, this story almost verse by verse. We went on like... 15 weeks on this, because I think it's an extremely relevant story to what we are seeing all around us today. It is a showdown. It is Baal versus God. It is Ahab versus Elijah. It is a question of whether the spirit of Jezebel will reign in Israel or will the Holy Spirit of God reign over God's people. As it was then, so it is now. We're in another showdown. And it is a battle for the mind and the hearts and the emotions of the people on this earth. 
We know that we don't struggle with flesh and blood. We know that there are principalities. We know that there are, are, are uh, authorities in the heavens that are locked in a struggle for the people on earth. God and his angels say they are ours. But so the enemy and his fallen angels say they are ours. And, and we as the church are set as ambassadors of Christ. We are sent as prophets to the people to represent God, especially in trying times, in tribulation times, in difficult times. And, and what I see in the story of Elijah and what Paul highlights is that God will always reserve for himself a remnant. He will send an ambassador. I believe that the church is that remnant. I believe that as Elijah was that ambassador, so you as the Christian must have the spirit of Elijah on you. So the church must have the spirit of Elijah on it in this battle of God versus Baal. And I want you to know, Baal is still active. It's not an, uh, an ancient idol that has, you know, slowly faded away. Baal is Beelzebub. Baal is the spirit of the Antichrist. It's still active, but so too is the spirit of Jesus Christ, living and active on earth. And so, so we are a part of this eternal struggle. We are a part of God's chosen remnant. And today we have a choice as God's people. Will we have the spirit of Elijah on us or the spirit of Ahab? What kind of ideology will our family, our churches, our people, our nation, what kind of ideology will they choose? Will it be an ideology of idolatry or will it be a worldview that is subject to the Bible? We see in the story of Elijah, we see that Jezebel is the source of idolatry in Israel. It came in through her. She was a priestess of Baal. She was uh, from a foreign nation that worshipped different gods. Even her father was a high priest of Baal. So she brought her past and her upbringing, and she, she brought this outside spirit into the walls. Jezebel is is like a manifestation of the snake that deceived Eve, the snake that came from outside of the garden, inside of the garden, to corrupt from within. The spirit of Jezebel is a picture of the wolf that Jesus told us to watch out for, the wolf that tries to not enter through the gate, but come over the wall and tries to steal from the flock of God's pasture. And God says to the shepherds, God says to the leaders, you watch out. For the wolves, this is the same spirit that comes and tries to cripple God's people to bring them away from his voice, away from his mind, his way to think. And, and right now the church is finding itself in a time where this spirit of Jezebel is rising again. Spirit of Jezebel is an antichrist spirit. It's rising again and it's coming to confuse. It's coming to um, to. So chaos, doubt, and ultimately to steal the life from God's people, God's land, we see it happen in Israel. The interesting thing is, how did Jezebel gain access? Because there has to be a way in. There has to be an open door. Jezebel gained access into Israel through an ungodly relationship. I want you to think about it. Many times that's how the enemy gains access, through ungodly relationships. And right now, I believe that there is a spirit of Jezebel, an antichrist spirit, that's trying to even get into the church through ungodly relationships. Ungodly relationships in dating, yes. But even our relationship with entertainment, our relationship with pleasure, our relationship with the world, 
The enemy wants to use that to draw us from Christ. See, Ahab was a king of Israel. He had no business having a relationship with a daughter of another kingdom. Should have been within God's people. But because he went outside the bounds, he allowed a different spirit to come into Israel. God's boundaries are put there for God's people's protection. So when God gives us his rules and authority, it's not there to subjugate us or oppress us. His rules is there to cultivate us, that we might be like in the Garden of Eden, cultivated by the hand of God. So every time the snake comes in, that's always is always designed to pull us into death. Here's Jezebel bringing in a different spirit into Israel, a spirit of Baal, an antichrist spirit. This is what's happening today in the church. So it's happening today in our world. There is an ungodly spirit that's trying to blind the minds even of believers. And this is a spirit of idolatry that comes in through intimacy. The Bible talks about not being yoked together with unbelievers. Talks about not being able to have that depth of relationship with those that do not follow God's way. The Bible talks about, uh, says this, what fellowship can light have with darkness? There is a distinct contrast and there should be. There should be a difference between you and an unbeliever. There should be a difference between a church and a country club. There should be a difference on God-fearing nations and godless nations. There should be distinctions. There should be a confrontation with evil. But what happens is the spirit of the Antichrist comes in to corrupt. And this is how it gains a foothold. It gains a foothold through, not through the hatred of Christ, but through the apathy of God's people. That's Ahab. Ahab was apathetic. Israel, at this moment, was apathetic towards God. It's not that they hated God. It's just there was no devotion. There was no dedication. The fire was not burning. There was no passion. There was no revelation. There was no love. And because of that, the enemy used that opportune moment. It's when, it's when our, our values lessen. It's when our convictions get unaligned. It's when we move the boundaries. That's when the enemy tries to step in to expand his territory and his authority in your life, heart, your mind, and your soul. Because, see, the source of authority at this time in Israel was Ahab. Ahab was the king, appointed by God, set to defend Israel. The problem is he abdicated his God-given responsibility. He abdicated it. That's the spirit on Ahab. It's a spirit of abdication. He has God-given responsibility, yet he willingly gives it up. He had a responsibility to honor God, to protect the people, and to hold to truth. But he gave that all up. Why? Because he loved the world more than he loved God. He loved Baal more than he loved the people. He loved the benefits of secular living, being the king. It was real good. He loved the benefits more than he loved to serve. And so Ahab abdicated his kingly responsibility. Understand, you and I were called to operate with the king's mindset. We're called to operate as leaders, as judges, to know right from wrong, to hold the line. Why? So that within the land, our churches, our homes, even our own lives, there might be flourishing. Because Ahab abdicated, now 
That spirit of Antichrist with Jezebel is able to get into a place it never should have got into, begin to wreak havoc in Israel. I'm painting a dark picture because it was a dark time. It was a godless time. It was a corrupted time. A time much like the one we live in right now. We have given over our God-given authority in order to be acceptable to a godless culture. We have given over who we are so that they might like us or at least leave us alone. We don't want to disagree. We want to get along. We want to let it, let it, let it all be good. And so we lessen our authority. We deny our responsibility. But make no mistake, the spirit of Jezebel is not just like a, like a sensuous spirit. The spirit of Jezebel is an antichrist spirit. It's the same thing that's going to arise in the book of Revelation. We're not playing games. And the enemy's not playing games. He's coming for keeps. And when he finds an open door, he will exploit that open door. And so here's an open door through Ahab's abdication. The truth of the matter is for many years, even godly people have abdicated their authority by, by lessening and giving up on their responsibilities. The responsibility to truth, to the future, to the word, to the very presence of God. We have given over. Pastors have abdicated the authority of the church to politicians. Husbands have abdicated the authority of the home to their wives. Families have abdicated the authority of the children to the state. Communities have abdicated the authority of each other to social workers. We've abdicated our minds to media, our hearts to the world, our courage to conformity, and we have abdicated our faith to fear. And through fear, the enemy wants to infiltrate, to steal. What does he do? Kill. And ultimately, his goal is always to destroy. I mean, think about it. In Genesis, we meet God. And the Bible says, and God created. That's the first thing we see about God. He's a creator. He's a builder. He's a life bringer. And then when we see Satan, he destroys. We see him in the garden, there's a fall. We see him show up at the Tower of Babel, there's a fall. Over and over, whenever Satan pops up, there's destruction. But hear me, where the Holy Spirit pops up, there's life. Where Jesus pops up, there's creation. Where God begins to build, there's vision. Where the enemy shows up, there's division. We, as God's people, must not be Ahab's in this moment. We must choose to be Elijah's in this moment. We must choose to step up and bear our responsibility, choose to step up with the courage of our convictions and represent our God who knows us, loves us, found us, pursued us, and chose us. And that is the good news, that God chose us. God always chooses the remnant. God always goes after what's his. God wasn't going to let Israel go without a fight. Just because Ahab was in power and Jezebel was coming into power doesn't mean God is all out of cards to play. Doesn't mean that God's all out of moves to move on the board. No, God always has a remnant in reserved. And the Bible says that God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. I want you to know, God has not rejected his people. He has not rejected his nation. He has not rejected you. And you might even say, well, but you don't know what I've done. Well, I know what David did. God didn't reject him. I know what Hezekiah did. God didn't reject him. I know what Solomon did. God didn't reject him. I, I know what Peter did. 
God didn't reject him. God is an overwhelmingly gracious God. He welcomes you with his goodness. It is God's kindness that leads us back to repentance. So you will be accepted always if you come through repentance. That's what the cross is all about. God did not reject his people. I want you to hear me. God does not reject this nation. God does not reject this world. God does not reject those even who reject him. He is faithful even when we are not faithful because that's who he is. But his call is to repent and turn, to repent and come back. And, and this is what Paul is speaking even, by the way, to Romans who understood a thing or two about difficult situations. Don't forget it was the Romans that were thrown into the arena to be eaten by lions to be burned at the gardens at night in Nero's palaces. They knew a thing or two about trials, tribulations. They knew a thing or two about an antichrist spirit. But God's writing to the Romans saying, but even at this present moment, God has not rejected you. Sometimes we even think, well, we're going through difficulty. Therefore, we must not be blessed. Well, since when does blessing mean that there will be no difficulty? I believe that you can be blessed even through the difficulty. In fact, I believe the greatest blessing is what the difficulty produces. Maybe even greater than that is the blessing at the end of your life where your true life begins. God blesses. He produces even through difficulty. So Jezebel, Ahab, they had set up difficulty for Israel, but God is good. And God has a remnant in reserve that confess him, that follow him. And the Bible says, Paul says, do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? Elijah is our model. Elijah is a picture, a prophetic picture of the body of Jesus Christ. Elijah has a Holy Spirit on him to combat an antichrist spirit that's coming against him. And he says, remember Elijah. Christian, remember Elijah. You might be able to say, well, but, but look at them and look, look what this person's doing. I got to tell you about my boss and I, I got to tell you about, remember Elijah. There's a bold, courageous mantle that went from Elijah to Elisha and go, can go from Elisha to you because it's not his mantle. It's the Holy Spirit's mantle. Remember Elijah. What, what I love about this story is how Elijah interrupts it. Obviously, Israel is in a broken place led by foolish leaders and yet, out of nowhere, the Bible says Elijah, the Tishbite from Gilead, shows up. He arrives on scene, fully formed. My favorite thing about Elijah is that he has no origin story. I'm, I'm getting excited even right now. He has no origin story. He just shows up prophet. He just shows up bold. In fact, we don't even know that much about him. We only know that Gilead was a mountainous place. And it's almost like this dude is so God-sent. He, like, he comes down from the mountains, steps into the palace, and he confronts Ahab. See, that is one of the characteristics of the spirit of Elijah. The ability to confront. Elijah steps in and he confronts Ahab. It, like this fully formed prophet shows up. It, it's, 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 it's like a picture of God's intervention. You know? I don't know about his upbringing. I don't, I don't even know too much about his life, the details. But I know when God... Wants to find someone, he'll find someone from anywhere. He'll send them down from heaven. Walk them into society and say, I'll, I'll use you if you'll just be bold. And, and that's, what, that's what I see happening with Elijah. Almost like, 
You know that scene, this is a horrible, this is a horrible comparison, but it's just how I see it in my mind. You know that scene in The Dark Knight, when, uh, right at the beginning where the Joker just shows up? He's just like a grown man, already he's got the paint on his face, and he's just there. You know, it's like chaos birthed him. I feel that way with Elijah, except without all the evil. Like, Elijah just walks in as if the Spirit of God birthed him. Why? Because he was needed. It's amazing how God will raise people up simply because they're needed. Right now, you are needed. Right now, the church of Jesus Christ is needed. Maybe more than it's been needed in the last hundred years. The prayers of the church is needed. The faith of the church the stubbornness of the church, the traditions and orthodoxy of the church, the generosity of the church is needed. Here comes Elijah. And Elijah's character is born from the need for confrontation. Someone needed to step up, step in. Someone needed to say to Ahab and Jezebel, no. Someone. And here's the spirit of Elijah to confront godlessness. I, I, I believe this. God's people must become comfortable with their calling to contend, to wrestle, to draw lines. We have to become comfortable with that. We have not been comfortable because that muscle has been atrophied. You know, you ever see if someone breaks an arm, you know, and they have it in a cast for 10, 12 weeks, when they take the cast, one arm smaller than the other arm, it's all wrinkly and small because the muscle atrophied because of lack of use. We've been so blessed in our nation for so long, we haven't had to use that muscle to contend for God's word. We haven't had to confront. We haven't had to challenge poor thinking, strange ideology in the church or outside. It's just like we've just been living in peacetime, which is so great, but that muscle has atrophied. And now God's saying, where are the men? Where are the women? that will stand for truth despite difficult times. God's people must become comfortable in their calling to contend. Because I think we've made a, mis a mistake in the church, in our mindset, in our way of thinking. We, we've mistaken confrontation as unchristlike. We've forgotten that Jesus confronted all the time. Jesus confronted the devil at the beginning of his ministry. Jesus confronted the Pharisees throughout his entire ministry. Jesus confronted the money changers at the temple. Jesus confronted his own disciples. Jesus confronted his own family when they thought he was a lunatic. And they went to like bring him home because he's embarrassing everybody. He, he, he says, I won't even go see my family. He stood firm because why? Jesus knew who he was and he knew what he was there to do. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He knew that God's spirit has sent them for such a time as this. So Esther knew I was sent for such a time as this. I believe you and I, our church, is sent for such a time as this. Not to be weak. Not to be downtrodden. You know, like when he talks, people are like, oh man. You know, like, I'm hoping that's not the spirit of the time. That's not your spirit. It's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God is one that's set on the rock of God. I believe it's time for us to see the boldness of Jesus and perpetuate that in the church. And it might take confrontation. And again, I'm not really saying so much the world. 
as far as like, I'm not saying for you to hold a, uh, you know, like a sandwich board and like uh, in the middle of the street somewhere and yell at everybody about how much they're sinning. I think the first, the first level of confrontation needs to be the sin in your own life because sin is evil and evil must be confronted. Sin is evil. It is hateful. It is corrupting. It leads to death. Sin is evil and evil must be confronted first in ourselves. We need the spirit of, of God. We need church. We need elders. We need wisdom to make that thing happen. We need miracles, but it must be confronted through repentance, first in, in ourselves and then in the church. Sin in the church, evil in the church, even if it's subtle. You know what's interesting about Jezebel? Do you know that I don't know if Jezebel and Elijah ever even meet? You know, it's all Elijah versus Ahab. But behind Ahab is a manipulative spirit. Through Ahab's the face, but there's a spirit. Something else is going on. Have you noticed it seems like in the world something else is going on? I don't know what, but something else is going on. Because this is too strange. The logic is too inconsistent. The hypocrisy is at its highest. People don't trust each other. They certainly don't trust our politicians. People don't trust our institutions. People don't trust the experts anymore. And how can you blame them? They've proven themselves to be completely untrustworthy. But even through all of like what we can see what's wrong and not matching up, we can't figure out what's really going on behind the scenes. We all know something else is going on. We just can't figure out exactly what. I believe it's an antichrist spirit that's coming on the world. It's coming against churches, it's coming against faith. It wants to introduce fear. It wants to move people away from Christ-like values. It hates the family unit. It hates men, strong men of God. It hates nations, certainly godly nations. But it's, it's manipulating through a facade. That's Jezebel. Jezebel's manipulating through Ahab and, 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 and working through his weakness. And so God says, I'm here to confront it. I'm here, I'm here to send someone that will stand despite the cost. That's Elijah. That's you and me. That's the church. And if we don't stand now, I don't know if we're going to have that many more opportunities to stand. I've heard it said, you know, is that the hill you want to die on? Well, you have to figure out what hill you want to die on because there are hills worth dying on. Jesus, the church, truth, the word, your family, those are hills worth dying on. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great Theologian, prophet, and martyr said this, silence in the face of evil is evil itself. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. Bonhoeffer was a great man. He founded the Confessing Church in Germany amidst the evil of the Nazi government. He saw it coming. He could have escaped to America, but yet he went back as a missionary to become a martyr to his own nation, that he might be there to defend the hill worth dying on, which was the church. Because the influence of the government, the state, was coming into the German church. They had blurred the lines between God's word and the ideology of man, socialism and strange ideas. 
a lifting up of government in the church. It had become so blurry, the church had ceased to be the representative of Jesus Christ on earth. And so Bonhoeffer came back and he set up his own church with men that were willing to count the cost. It was called the Confessing Church. I believe there is going to be a time where the remnant will have to choose their, that their confession is Christ alone. Bonhoeffer wrote the book, The Cost of Discipleship, which is an incredible Christian classic. And he chose to act amongst a group of conspirators. You might have heard of the Valkyrie plot. And, um, you know, the plot didn't work. If you know the famous Valkyrie plot, somehow he survived. It was unbelievable circumstances. They rounded up, I believe, over almost 5,000 people and killed them. And Bonhoeffer was one of the conspirators, arrested by the Nazi government, put in a concentration camp in his own, uh, in his own nation, where he was to be left for months on end until he was killed, martyred, with the Americans just two weeks away from setting him free. He wrote the book, The Cost of Discipleship. He counted the cost. He paid the cost. Why? Because when there is evil, it is, it is God's people's duty to confront evil despite the cost. It's his, his last words were, this is the end, the beginning of life for me. This is a man that valued what's to come more than what is. He valued what's right more than what's popular. We are coming into a time where what is right and what is popular is diverging. We are coming into a time where we will see the fulfillment of the verse that in the end times, people will call good evil and evil good. We're entering into the upside down world. Jesus said the way to death is broad and many are on that path. The way to life is narrow, difficult, and few find it. There must be a choice of the church, of Christians, of Elijahs, of Bonhoeffers that choose to walk the difficult path, stand for truth, despite the culture's outcry, stand for convictions. There must be a remnant chosen by God. Know this, the spirit of Elijah confronts the spirit of Ahab, which is abdication, so that the spirit of Jezebel, which is the spirit of the Antichrist, does not deceive God's people into destruction. The church is holding back the wave of destruction that wants to come on this nation, come on its children, come on its future, come on its finances. But the church and its prayers and its convictions must stand, even if we stand smaller than we were last year or smaller than we were 10 years ago. Our prayers are still mighty and God's still on the throne and he loves to work through hopeless circumstances. Look through the Old Testament. Look through church history. The church always looks like it's headed for destruction right before the moment of triumph. I do believe revival is on its way. I believe it, even if I don't feel it. I believe it because that's who God is. That's what God does. And when Elijah stood up against Jezebel and Ahab, God answered God answered with fire, that's refining. But then God answered with water, that's renewal. That's how God works. I believe he's going to refine his church, his people. But I also believe he's going to renew his church, his people. I hope you're not afraid, even though this is a sobering sermon. I've got a lot of faith. I'm excited for the things to come. I've already decided on what hills I'm going to die on. But I believe that 
that Jesus already took my death and he already paid my price. And I feel like this thing's going to turn around in a glorious fashion. But even if it doesn't, I'll stand for Jesus. I've made my decision. I hope you make yours. You might be saying, well, Jordan, like this, this doesn't seem like it's that big of a deal. Like what's going on right now seems okay. I don't know if this sermon is for this week. I think it might be for a few months from now, for what's to come. I think that strange thing going on in the background is getting stranger and stronger. But our faith is immovable. It's immovable. It's unstoppable. You got to get in the word, get founded on the rock of Jesus. You got to learn how to pray again. Jesus taught us how to pray. James taught us how to pray. Some people say, you know, prayer's just, it's just natural, just flow. I understand prayer should be simple, but there's a depth to it. You got to learn how to pray. You got to practice it and apply it. Get it in, integrated in your every day. And, and, and so that the hour when it comes that you might not faint, but that your faith will be strong and let it be said of the church. God has a remnant in reserve. Jesus says this. He says, I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Notice this. They've not bowed the knee to Baal. This is all about worship. Who are we going to worship? With our mind, with our actions. Who are we going to worship? Even faith and fear, that's about worship. Have you noticed that it's not enough for secular culture to be tolerated? Have you noticed yet that it demands to be celebrated? We might have even thought 10 years ago we could tolerate, disagree, and get along, and yet we're realizing very quickly that that's never been the plan. It demands to be celebrated. More than that, it demands to be, to be loved. The reality is this is all about who you will give your worship to. Lucifer desired worship. That's why he had the five I wills. When he tempted Jesus, that was all about worship. He said, just bow before me. And the mark of the beast, which is to come in the book of Revelation, it's all about worship. When Daniel, uh, when, the, when the Hebrew children were forced to bow before that, that idol, that was all about worship. But Jesus says, I've reserved 7,000 for myself. They still worship me alone. They don't worship their passion or their pleasures. They don't worship government or politics. They don't worship even the church or the bride. They worship Jesus. They don't worship their bodies. They don't worship their families. They don't worship their success. They worship Jesus. They don't worship their lust. They don't worship their sin. They worship Jesus. If there were 7,000 in the remnant then, I wonder how many are in the remnant now that choose to be like Elijah, confront evil, confess Jesus. Who do you worship? Because the world wants your worship. It wants your body, your mind, your soul, your emotions. But the word calls us to love the Lord with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. The demand from the world is to bow. Bow or you're a bigot. Bow or you'll be ostracized. Bow, and this is where it's headed, or you'll die. You know what's interesting? There's a verse in the story of Elijah that's left out in Romans. That not only did the 7,000 not bow. The Bible also says they refused to kiss the idol of Baal. Because see, it's not just about 
you being subjugated. It's not just about you coming into alignment with the world's values. It's actually worse than that. This spirit of Antichrist, it doesn't just want your worship, it wants your love. It doesn't just want your subjugation, it wants your admiration. And the world is beginning to love things that are killing them. And the world wants to get the church to love the things that will lead to its own destruction. I don't know if you, in high school you ever read the book 1984. I did by George Orwell, and I, you know, I kind of forgot it. When I was older, I, I reread it, and, man, that's an impacting book. I wouldn't, I wouldn't encourage you to read it now because you're living it now, so it's useless. But the book is all about a man named Winston who was under the subjugation of a totalitarian government called Big Brother. And it, it talks about as, it shows as he comes to realization that he's not a free man and he begins to kick against this. In the book, it, it shows that he eventually gets caught by the government and broken by that government. But the last line always haunted me. The last line of 1984 talks about Winston looking up and seeing the face of his oppressor. And it says, and he saw Big Brother and he loved him. See, the goal of the oppressor is not just your subjugation. It desires your heart. It desires your love. Sin doesn't want you just to be enslaved. It doesn't just want you to be oppressed. It desires for your love to move from God to it, to debase things. It wants your love to move from Jesus to Lucifer. That's what this whole thing was about with Israel. It wasn't just that Baal should be worshipped. It wanted the altars of God destroyed. The prophets of God killed. It wanted to break down all the things that brought life. But you and I, we're called to love Jesus with everything we are. We are not going to fall in love with the spirit that seeks to enslave us. We're not going to give in in the little or in the large. Those 7,000 refused to bow to anything but God. And so you are free people. And you are free to not bow to anything except the one that made you free. And the Bible says, and in the end, every knee will bow and every mouth will confess, but only to Jesus. Jesus Christ is Lord. He wins. But you cannot give up. Even as the spirit of Jezebel begins to grow, you must choose to come into alignment with the Holy Spirit, a spirit of boldness, a spirit of Elijah, a spirit of righteousness, and be the remnant. For the Bible says there is a remnant, and it's chosen by grace. The story of Elijah is a beautiful one. There's the showdown between Baal and his prophets and, and God and his one prophet. And yet, it's not numbers that wins. It's God that wins. And the rain comes, and the people of Israel, think of it, all the people in Israel get the rain. Even the ones that were hard-hearted, even the ones that got enslaved by Baal and led away, even the ones that were against Elijah, they got the rain because Elijah kept his values and convictions before God. He represented the whole nation, and so we, as the remnant church, we represent a whole nation. The Bible says, do unto others as you would wish for them to do unto you. That's our golden rule. So that's what we'll do. We wish others would pray for us, we're going to pray for them. We wish others would stand for truth, we're going to stand for truth. We wish others would 
Keep the truth in love. That's what we're going to be. And you might say, well, that's not what they're doing. Yeah, well, they don't serve your God. You do. Stand as Elijah. And let God answer with fire. Let God answer with rain. And I believe God will raise up another generation. And I pray it will be a generation of strong young men and women with conviction and a love for the word of God. (laughs) A denial of the garbage, nonsense ideology of the world. But they cling to the beautiful stunning words of Jesus Christ and let life come through that. After Elijah came Elisha and a company of prophets. That's revival. I pray that you gain a new conviction, a new strength, and a new passion to represent God first in your family, in your home, and then to all those around them to be immovable, to pray for the nation, and to resist the devil. The Bible says, and he will flee from you. I believe the best is yet to come because Jesus is the best. I believe awakening is to come because God is waking his people up. The Bible says, the hour is almost here. The night is coming to an end. Day is arriving, so it's time for God's people to put away deeds of darkness and put on the armor of life. May the spirit of Elijah be on you. Amen? God bless you. Thanks for listening to the Awakening Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. If you want to learn more about our church, visit us online at awakening.global. We'll see you soon.